welcome to All Things Eerie. This is Kathy. I'm your host, and this is episode 16. I hope everybody who has been listening has been enjoying these episodes. This episode that we are going to talk about has been like super cool to do the research on. I actually came across it by accident. But before we go into that, I hope everybody has been doing really well. We have picked up some new listeners, some in Illinois, some in, oh, what was it? Maryland and New York. We've picked up quite a few, which has been really awesome. I really want to say thank you. And again, if you're enjoying these, I hope you're passing these along to your friends. Please, if you are on iTunes, please leave some feedback. Please leave uh, stars. Uh, if you are on any, like the Podbean, please leave a like or shares or anything like that. I'd greatly appreciate it. If on any of the pages or anything like that, leave a comment, go to our Facebook page which is all things eerie, eerie with three things, with, with three E's, <clears throat> all, all things eerie from eerie PA. If you are, like I said, enjoying them, please pass the information along to any of your friends. It's been, it's been, um, really nice seeing people download the episodes and things like that. It's been really nice. This particular episode is about stepmothers and I don't know about anybody else, but I myself am a stepmom and I usually don't talk about my kids or too much about my personal life. I usually talk about some of the things I've done. For example, if, um, you know, what's been going on, not much has been going on around here. I mean, up here in Erie, usually there's a lot of snow around this time of year right now it's been a very easy 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 winter knock on wood we've had some snow last weekend and believe it or not it's still here it's supposed to be up in the high 40s today whoop you know a uh, tropical heat wave there going and so a lot of it's probably going to go away this weekend along with some rain <clears throat> that being said, <clears throat> there's not a whole lot to do for someone like myself who is likes to be outdoors during the spring and and stuff like that. But getting back to talking about my kids, my kids, I have three. I have two girls. Well, my partner and I, we have two girls and a boy. And my boy was my easiest birth because he's part of our blended family and he's my son. I say he's my son and, but he and my partner, uh, how do I put this? He would, I would be his stepmom. And when you talk about step parents and step kids and things like that, it can get tricky. I really never saw or met anybody who could be so, um, what's the word I'm looking for evil or who could be so mean as someone, as I did when I first moved to Ohio. And 
And it was a real eye opener. I mean, and, and I'm going to say I was very naive. I mean, I've learned a lot over the years as I, as I'm sure a lot of people have. And I, the, there was a person that I knew and I say person, this person, I used to be super close, super best friends. And then I saw some of the things that she had done. And I'm sure, I'm sure if she ever listens to this, I'm sure she's going to look me up on Facebook and go, what the fork. Um, but anyways, she, she's the first person I ever met that had a little black book and there's nothing wrong. I mean, guys have them. Why can't women have them, have them? Well, the reason being is she eventually got married. And once you get married, you're supposed to toss that damn thing, right? Okay. Well, she didn't. She was the epitome of what a wicked stepmother would be like. She met a person on online and this is when online dating was just beginning, you know, and when people would say, oh, I met this person online, everybody would give you that look, you know, not like it is now. Oh, well, which dating site did you meet him on? It's that look. Well, how do you know they are who they say they are? I mean, even now you kind of, you know, think about the catfish thing, but she met a, a very nice person who happened to have a boy and a girl, which is what she had. She had a boy and a girl. After a month, they moved in together. This is when it starts to get crazy. Even though I, I myself couldn't say anything because I had a very quick relationship who was with the person who I had married, but we didn't have kids at that time. So it was neither, neither here nor there, but they both had a boy and a girl. She knew what she was getting into, but she hated his kids, hated them, hated them. And she would talk to me about it. And I said, look, you knew this going into this relationship. Why would you continue on? I I mean, seriously, there is no other reason to go on to on with this relationship. He's not going to get rid of his kids. He has them more often than not. I mean, you're not going to get rid of your kids because they're your kids. But that was a constant conversation. And the saddest part was the mother loved the son. I mean, absolutely loved the son. And the little girl was daddy's little girl, but she didn't get to spend a whole lot of time with him because he was always working. So there's this little girl who is stuck between these two women who absolutely despised her. One being her own mother and the other one being who is now going to be her stepmother. And I told her, I said, all you have to do is show this child a little bit of affection, just some, and she will love you forever. It's not like she's a pet or something like that. You can't rehome her. She is his daughter. Show this child some affection. No. Why the hell not? I can't stand her. Hello? This is a child. This is a part of this person that you're saying that you want to be with for the rest of your life. Needless to say, this relationship did not work out. Not for just the fact that she could not be around his own children, 
but for the fact of that little black book that I had started to speak about because she could not control her spending and she would hop from guy to guy to guy to get money. So, you know, and yes, that's prostitution, but that's not how she viewed it. So, but that's, that's a story for a whole other day. So, but back to my son, you know, I adore him. I really do. I adore him. He's, he was the easiest child, the easiest everything. And with my two girls, teenage years were awful. Anybody that tells me that they have two teenage girls, I think there should be a, a group meeting for that because most mornings you don't know what you're getting. You don't know if you need a priest or if you need to have, you know, to load up on, you know, gear to, and a shield to go in because if you breathe wrong, it's a battle. If you look at them wrong, it's a battle. The eye rolling, the huffing, the puffing, it's everything. If you go in their room at the wrong time, if you open their door at the wrong time, hell, if you open the food jar at the wrong time, it's a battle. I don't know how many times my oldest one slammed the door constantly until we took the door off. Now, my stepson um, was not a part of this. So, and the girls had the top floor of the house. So us taking the door off was not a big thing. So it was the stomping up the stairs and then the of the door being slammed. I mean, that, that was her thing. So, you know, I just took the door off the bedroom. You don't need to slam the door. So, but yeah, I mean, being, being a step parent is a tricky situation because you have to be careful. You know, you're, you have to tread lightly. You can't interject yourself, interject into every situation. You need to sit down with your partner and say, okay, look, the, this is how, and it should be with anybody, you know, this is how I parent my children. How do you parent your children? This is my ex expectation from you. And, and, and they should be telling you what they expect from you. Obviously, you know, co-parenting is a very hard task. And then when you have that other parent that's in the picture, it's even harder. And if that parent is not a nice person, it's even triple the work. So, but anyways, this person that we're talking about, her name is uh, Edna Mambulo. Now, this was a case from a long time ago. This, this happened in 1930. And it's actually a case that's that is studied in criminal law. When I started reading it, I was, I was very fascinated by it because of how it was sensationalized at the time, because doing the research on different sites, some of it was, it talked about because she was the stepmother and they didn't, but they didn't find out right away that she was the stepmother. Now, Edna Okay. And, and I'll go back. Like I said, sometimes when I tell a story, I go A, B, C, Q, R, S, D, E, F, G. So, 
let's start talking about Edna. Edna herself, she was born December 1st, 1890 in North Baltimore, Ohio. Her parents were George Shunk and Mary Agnes Arbogast. Okay. George and Mary met while George was working for Mary's father. And then once that happened, they started having kids, they moved to Pittsburgh. So that being said, they started getting together. They had their children. Once the kids started coming along, Edna is their, basically their middle child. So Edna, now once Edna turned into her, once Edna got into her teenage years, Edna's first love, his name was Harold Van Sickle. And then obviously things happened and Edna had a set of twins who she, once she gave birth, she sent them to live with her sister. And then Edna and Harold were married. And then 10 months after the marriage, Harold died. But Edna had to go to work and she ha- she held various jobs between 1907 and 1909, uh, one even as a bundle wrapper for Kaufman's department store in Pittsburgh. Then in 1910, the entire family, meaning uh, George and Mary Agnes and the sisters and brothers of Edna, they moved to Cowdersport in northern PA. In the mid ni- then in the mid 1920s. Edna relocated from Cowdersport to New Berlin, New York. And you're going to hear some of these uh, town names pop up throughout throughout this. And this is a very long story. So I'm going to do, do it in a two-part because it is very fascinating, this, this case. So just, just to give you a heads up. In New Berlin, New York, uh, where she found work in the silk mill. At that silk mill, she she met a Mal, uh, Ralph Mambulo, and they became friends. And now, back in this time frame, there were there were etiquette. There was etiquette that you had to follow, and um, a man and a woman could not just be friends. That being said, their relationship became more than friends which was not a good thing because then it became an illicit uh an illicit alliance which basically it was an affair you know i mean it things like that happen i mean if things like this happen all the time and it happened in everybody's generation they just had different names for it i mean it happens it it really did but people were more hush hush about things like that. And that's why, you know, when your grandma, you heard your grandma talking about something like that, or your, your aunts and your uncles and stuff like that. And they, they would talk about certain neighbors and stuff like that. This is what they're talking about. You know, the, the certain, certain people, certain neighbors and stuff like that, the illicit, the illicit affairs and stuff like that. That's, this is what they're talking about. It it was not looked upon favorably even the gentleman ralph he was even so bold and i know this happens today and i know people don't even look twice at it but back in this day 
it was. It was seriously frowned about, frowned upon. Ralph was Ralph even went so far as to introduce his daughter Hilda to Edna, who was eight years old at the time. And then all of a sudden Ralph's wife died. You know, it's a little suspicious people. You know, I'm sure their tongues were wagging at the time. And then in um when his wife died, she had life insurance, which she was smart. She put it in her daughter's name, which at that time it was over $6,000. So in today's value, it would be $92,325.99. So that is a lot of money, especially back in that time frame which the little girl Hilda wouldn't receive it until she turned 21. By the time those papers were finalized from the insurance company, the country had hit the depression. And anybody who's familiar with this, it hit the, it hit the country hard. I mean, people were losing their homes. People were starting to head out west. They were living in tent cities. The silk mill that Ralph and Edna had been working in it, it closed temporarily. So they tin canned it across the U.S. Ralph took some day jobs, and then Edna continued to find work as a dressmaker. And then not too long afterwards, on November 8th, 1929, the three of them made their way to Erie, PA. And here in Erie, they had a second-floor apartment at the corner of Six and Lighthouse. 6th and Lighthouse on Erie's east side, where Ralph found work at the Standard Stoker Company as a welder. And Edna designed and made dresses out of their apartment, in which she also made extra money by babysitting the neighbor's children, which really had to send a blow to the neighborhood when all of this went down. And then together... With the two of them working, they only they brought in less than $25 a week. And between food and rent, it took much of their it took much a lot of their earnings. Even with a low income, they were able to afford a new Ford automobile, which they bought on credit, which <clears throat> looked very suspicious later on. Hilda was enrolled in the Wayne School where she quickly made friends. Over the next few months, both Edna and Hilda became well-known and liked with their neighbors. Edna's relationship with Ralph wasn't what she thought it was going to be, which a lot of times we find out it never really is. She was approaching her 40th birthday and caring for someone else's child, none of her own, not even her twin boys, and was alone in the apartment with Hilda. The apartment was clean but crowded, a one-bedroom, Edna had converted the sitting room to a bedroom for privacy, which is some people didn't care about that. They, they all shared a one bedroom apartment and they had the sitting room and then the kitchen, but Edna, she valued her privacy. She turned their sitting room, which would have given them an extra room to, you know, have away from each other. She turned that into Hilda's bedroom that only left the kitchen for them to be their main room. The kitchen was an eight by 14 foot room, which isn't really big, which all those tensions were rising between them. 
Ralph was taking what limited money they had and spent it on Hilda, which she was a daddy's little girl. That happens. He would buy her new clothes. He sent her to the movies. And then Edna had threatened to leave Ralph because he, uh, she felt that he loved her do- his daughter more than her, which is common in relationships like that. You know, women tend to look at other women as rivals. So it doesn't matter if it's a daughter or, or not, you know, when, but when you're looking at this, because you have to think about this. Edna, who had the option to go back to her family and raise her twin sons after her husband died, chose not to. She could have brought her sons along, but she chose not to. She gave her children up to her sister to be raised. She chose not to bring them, bring them with her. But she's seeing her stepdaughter as a rival for affection for her husband. Or for Ralph, I should say, because at this point, they're not married. As the tension's rising between them, they have, because the bills were piling up, there's food, rent, the car. She has a father that is getting older. And at this time, you know, as, as in, even in today's day and age, we have parents that are, you know, that we are living with or they're living with us and we're taking care of them as they're aging. And her father was going between each child and staying with them for a certain amount of time. And the other kids are contributing to that household to help take care of that parent. So it seemed like there's no end to the bills, but guess what? There's that life insurance, you know, that's what she's seeing guess, you know, so we can, we can get, we, there is, there is a light to the end of the tunnel, but it's not in their name. It's in Hilda's name. So on the morning of the fire, and this is March 21st, 1930, Edna gets up. There's usual activity. She goes to get Ralph's breakfast going, you know, making bacon, toast, coffee. He He's eaten in a rush. He goes to get dressed. He's out the door. And Edna thought she was Edna was getting her stuff ready for the day. Hilda was in her bedroom when Hilda Edna apparently had gasoline in their bedroom, meaning Ralph and Edna's bedroom. She brought out the gasoline and she poured it in a pan and supposedly was getting ready to clean a dress. So by 7 a.m., the apartment building was engulfed in smoke. Hilda was in flames. Later on, a physician will have reported that Hilda was literally cooked alive. At one point, Nina Hickson, the apartment manager, arrived. She saw that the apartment building was in jeopardy. She had gone to go get a pail of water, and she returned with two. Another neighbor, Frank Fisher, ran into what he believed was an empty apartment where he emptied one of the pails onto the larger fire and was about to dump the second one onto the smaller fire. I'm sorry, this was uh, Hickson. 
when she noticed that Hilda was standing in the kitchen corner and her underclothes were in flames. Now, I'm going to say this is a trigger warning. Hicks then doused the girl with water and ran back for more where she she almost collided with a neighbor uh, named John Blousey. Um, Blousey found Hilda sitting on a chair with her clothes entirely burned off and Hilda was motionless. Blousey asked, why are you sitting there? I can't see to get out, she replied. The smoke and fire had blinded the girl and Hilda was, as one would expect, traumatized, not just by the fire, but by the fact that this was done by Edna. Blousey had led Hilda to the hall, and she had whispered to him, Don't let me die, Where and this is where she collapsed on the floor. By 7.14 a.m., the firemen from station number five arrived, quickly followed by a medic, and the remaining embers were extinguished. The firemen found unquestionable traces of gasoline all over Hilda's bedroom. Dr. Nathan Schusser, the medic, found Hilda on a neighbor's cot, unconscious, and this is a quote, badly burned about the face and body. It was apparent to Schusser that her condition was critical, so Hilda was promptly loaded up and taken to Hammett Medical Center. Throughout it all, Edna screamed and cried, save my baby, save my apartment, she cried. <clears throat> now, Sadie Do Donovan, a neighbor, cornered, had cornered Edna, and then, this is a quote, are my furs safe, Edna asked. Donovan obviously was shocked, and again, are my furs safe, Edna asked. Donovan asked Edna how the fire had started, Edna avoided the questions and tried to push past Donovan. Donovan stopped her and asked Edna again how the fire started. Mind your own business, Edna replied, or I'll suck you in the jaw. Certainly not ladylike. <clears throat> Edna then shoved Donovan and ran to the streets below. There were other tenants of the building gathered around Edna. Among them were Eliza Somerville and Ethel Luther who, once the fire was extinguished, led Edna to Mrs. Hickson's apartment where they knelt in prayer. Sadie Donovan remained on the street waiting for Ralph, who arrived by 7.30 a.m. Now, mind you, the fire started at 7, approximately. By 7.14, the firemen and the medic were there, and Ralph arrived by 7.30. Sadie Donovan watched Ralph, who instead of going to be with his daughter, went into his apartment and watched as he, quote, hurriedly searched for certain papers. And then when he realized he was being observed, he got upset, which, to say the least, this is quoting, mind your business, woman, he barked, found what he was looking for, and then rushed past Donovan and to the ambulance on 6th Street with the papers tucked into the bib of his uh, coveralls. He was, uh, he jumped into the uh, ambulance with Hilda and he rode with her to the hospital. A neighbor took Edna to, the, to a relative's home in Wesleyville, PA, and she would only return once more to collect her things. <clears throat> so again, to cover all this, from 7 a.m. that morning to 7.14 when the fire was put out and Hilda was rushed to Hammett Medical Center, no one was able to save Hilda, 
not Blossie, the neighbor who Hilda had whispered her last words to, the fireman or Dr. Schusser. Hilda was burned to a crisp. Her once soft skin burned bright pink, her face tight with e evaporation of moisture. Hilda died at 11 a.m. And Ralph Mambulo was at his was not at his dying daughter's bedside. His last words to her were, I'll see you in heaven, Hilda. Ralph never returned to the hospital. Now, like I said, Ralph and Enda were not at the hospital with Hilda. Hilda was laying in that bed by herself in agony that whole time. Now, do you want to know where they were? And what that paperwork that he had in his bib overalls that Sadie Donovan saw what he shove into his bib overalls? I'll give you three guesses and the first two don't count. And I'm sure you can really guess first thing off the bat. And they have five digits. I mean, he was looking for the insurance, the insurance papers and as Hilda lay dying, both him and Edna were at Erie Insurance Company. This is no joke, folks. This is why I was saying this is so fascinating because this family, which Ralph is Hilda's biological father, and Edna, the supposed evil stepmom, she threw a pan of gasoline on this little girl supposedly she is taken she's rushed rushed to the hospital the father's there he whispers to her i'll see you in heaven and he's got her insurance papers right there tucked in his bib overalls he takes off he never sees her again ever i mean that in itself is like horrible i mean seriously so Ralph and Edna reportedly could not stay at the apartment the next day because, you know, the memories of their child's death were unbearable. Instead, they, they stayed at the home of their Wesleyville relatives. Now, yeah, I can see that, that they wouldn't want to stay there, that there was a fire and their chi child stayed there. But you didn't even go to the hospital and stay with your child while she was dying. So to me, that's just you know, bullshit. So on March 24th, Reverend Carl Blackmore presided over the funeral service of Hilda Bell Mambulo. I, now, her name is just pretty, Hilda Bell. That, that's just adorable. At the Hanley Schaller Chapel on the corner of 13th and Peach. The next day, Ralph and Edna packed up their belongings and vacated their apartment. They drove east to New Berlin to bury Hilda and start again. So once Hilda was buried, that was supposed to be the end of everything. At least that's what they thought. But what it ended up being was just the beginning. And it opened up this huge can of worms. They had no idea how much problems this was going to be. When like I said, they thought it was over, but back in Erie, the investigation was reopened. The neighbor, John Blossie, was suspicious. Blossie worked at GE at the time, and he confided to his boss that he thought the fire was deliberately set. Lester Hatch, 
went farther. He went to meet with the coroner, Hanley, to speak about the nature of the fire <clears throat> and to discuss the odd behavior of Ralph and Edna. Why was the fire in entirely confined to the bedroom if it started in the kitchen? Which is a good question. I mean, she's saying that she was cleaning this dress with gasoline in the kitchen and and all of a sudden it caught fire and then she took it into another room to throw it out the window. Hanley then consulted with the local police reports and met with Assistant Chief Scully. The firemen admitted that they too were suspicious, but the case had been closed, so they chose not to say anything. And, you know, it's one of those things of, you know, why should we, you want to, you want to sit there and ask why, why wouldn't you have said something at, at the time? It, you know, something doesn't make sense. Hanley then read the reports and interview and interviews with Edna, where she claimed a different story than what she told neighbors and Dr. Schuster. In the first report, she claimed that she had been cleaning a dress with gasoline when the, when the fire started. Edna said she babysat a neighbor's child and the child accidentally soiled the dress. And she bought the gasoline to clean it, but didn't get around to it till the day of the fire. I, I really want to look this up and see if there are types of dresses that they used back then or material that you needed to use gasoline to clean it. I mean, I know there's like paint and stuff like that back in the day that you had to use like turpentine or gas to get off because it was, there wasn't anything else that would take it off. But once you clean it off, you really had to wash your hands to get the smell and stuff like that off. And it still lingered for a while afterwards. But using gasoline to clean your clothes with, I have a hard time with that one. <clears throat> Edna claimed that she had filled a wash pan in the kitchen and then rubbed the soiled dress in the gas pan. It soiled dress in the gasoline, and according to her, it immediately exploded in flames. In a panic, she tried to throw the pan of flaming gas out the kitchen window, but a clothesline full of freshly laundered linens hung outside her window. Fearing she might set the linens on fire, she went through the doorway separating the kitchen and Hilda's room and threw the flaming pan toward the window there. The window was closed. Hilda, though, had caught on fire as the pan of flames dropped onto her. It was an accident. Um, okay. I, in the back of my mind, I'm still sitting there thinking, do you not have baking soda or something? Does not baking soda work? Or anything else other than throwing, taking it into the child's bedroom? That would be the last place I would do it. I mean, you know, if you're in the kitchen, keeping it in the sink, at least, I mean, I don't, I don't know, throwing water on it. That's just me. I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't know, but at least smothering it. I really don't know. On March 31st, being dissatisfied with Edna's explanation and the pattern, Coroner Hanley had the case reopened. Because obviously what she was saying was, wasn't making sense. The investigators returned to the site of the fire and took more detailed notes, mapped out the apartment, and took photographs. The assistant district attorney, Otto Herbst, 
contacted the apartment manager, Nina Hicks, Hickson, and arranged for the city to rent the damaged apartment in order to secure the investigation site, which I don't think they do anymore. I think it's just they keep it locked down. I don't think they pay for stuff like that anymore. They wanted the crime scene to be preserved. The day after the case was reopened, Erie County authorities began looking for Ralph and Edna Mambulo. Detective Leroy, Detective Leroy, search and assistant city detective Harry Russell were employed to lead the investigation. And then by April 2nd, 1930, the people of Erie were fascinated by the speculation of where Ralph and Edna were. The headline for Erie Daily Times read, Continued Hunt for Parents. I, I mean... This, I mean, the, like I said, after reading some of this stuff, I mean, you just keep reading. You just want to, okay, what is going on here? I mean, and just keep going to find out what happened. So the detectives knew that Ralph and Enda were not with their relatives because they, they had looked for everybody around here. They looked at the old apartment. The, they had checked in New Berlin they even went to Hilda's gravesite. I mean, which is something that they do, they still do today to, to see if they would visit the gravesite and nothing. And then after nearly a week of searching the uh, ADA Herbs, Herbits, I hope I'm saying this guy's name right, con, uh, he was convinced that they were guilty because they had taken off. And then he thought he had enough evidence um, but it was circumstantial. But he had he, he thought he had enough to merit uh, to issue an arrest warrant. So he went before Alderman Eugene Albershot, and Herbert leveled the charge of murder against Ralph Mambulo and his common law wife Edna Deschunk. So this is where I'm going to end it. And because after this, it goes into more of the, they chase the chase and the the trial and everything and I mean it's so super interesting because there's so much that happened in between this I mean it would it would take like almost two hours to do this case and I'm I'm just wow it it took me forever to really finish up the the podcast because I was thinking about okay I'll just do up to this certain point and then I'll finish and I was like no I'm going to finish the whole entire research for it and then break it down into two pieces because it it, it is such a fascinating case because of when the the people of the area read about this woman they started talking about the stepmother factor and you know, when you think about being a stepmother, what do you think about? You think about the Disney characters and all the stepmothers that were in there, you know, the evil queens and, you know, Cinderella and, and all of that. And all of them that had the stepmothers, they were all evil. You know, the stepmother that was in Hansel and Gretel, they used that as an example in here. But if you go back and you look in the original Grimm's fairy tale, it was actually the mother. So, but it was it was really really interesting to see how they portrayed this. The other thing that they talked about 
while doing this was, like I said, the stepmother stereotype was that they looked at it in the aspect of that stepmothers cannot care for a child as the biological mother could. And that, that that influenced the public's perception of how Edna, you know, the love that she would have had for her daughter or for Hilda. And as a consequence, you know, did that play into her innocence or her guilt? And there's that factor. And there's also, there's some in a book called Convicted Women Who Have Killed Children, A Self-Psychology Perspective by Susan uh, Crimmins and Sandra Langley and Henry H. Brownstein. These authors describe 42 New York cases where mothers killed their own children. Overwhelmingly, they argue women who kill their children have a background pattern of repeated damage to self. Mothers who kill they suggest were constantly subjected to physical and sexual victimization, suicide attempts, and substance abuse. And they suffered low self-esteem, relied heavily upon abusive and dysfunctional spouse, and experienced a a sense of self-worthlessness. But in this case, that's that's not, it's not possible because Edna had a somewhat okay childhood, but she moved around. Her first love, Harold, yes, she had to give up her twins, but she still married the love of her life. Yes, he died. They didn't say what he died of, but he died. There's there's another twist in here with another child, which we'll talk about. And it does have to do with that, but she was, it does not talk about her father being abusive or anything like that. It's, it's a very interesting piece. Like I said, we could go, we could talk about it for like a couple of hours. It's very, very interesting. So I hope you enjoy this one. I, like I said, I did. Please don't forget we are on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Instagram, Facebook, uh, all things Erie from Erie PA, Erie with three E's, Instagram is K-T-H-Y-B-R-D-L-Y. Facebook is F-B forward slash M-E uh, dot M-E, all things eerie, eerie with three E's. And please, please, if you are enjoying the podcast, please leave some feedback. Or if you have any questions, please feel free to ask anything uh, about the podcast or anything like that. I would enjoy hearing from any of the listeners. Uh, This is Kathy and I'm signing off.